0: Podcast
1: One. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Listen Able. Well, hopefully welcome back. Or if it's New is because of the guest who is promoting this podcast, uh, hello and welcome. Please subscribe and go back and check out some of our other episodes.
2: Yeah, we can't wait to introduce you to the international superstar that we have Ooh. on that. You might not even know uh, has a disability but he's very proud of his disability um, now but it's been a pretty you know crazy week in australia especially you know a few stories that really affect people living with disability it started at the, the very start of the week with a couple of stories of people passing away so there was a lady called Anne marie smith who was over in um south australia and she was given an, a, an appointed carer through a disability agency and um she was found that over a whole year that carer had never actually taken care of her. They left her in a wheelchair, not treated her. She had infections and she had passed away because of that. Um, also a, a young girl in Queensland called Willow Dunn had Down syndrome and her father um, malnourished her, mistreated her and has, uh, she's passed away as well. And I guess that shone a light on just how vulnerable some people with a disability are, but also how important it is for us to talk about that vulnerability but check in on them.
1: Yeah, I think what I learned from these stories this week has been that uh, a lot of people, you know, in domestic violence cases, for example, they have trouble speaking out about their partners or the situations that they're in.
2: These people cannot cannot, cannot speak out.
1: Yeah, non-verbal, a lot of
2: them. So it's up to us as a community, or just because they've got one carer doesn't mean that carer is always checking in on them and doing the right thing. Same as if they've got a parent or whatever. And
1: And of course it's a minority. There are so many amazing, compassionate, empathetic carers out there, a majority of them, 99%, but in every case and every occupation there's always a bad apple
2: yeah and and I think that's exactly right and and not only you know celebrating when people do good but making sure they these checks are in place to make sure these things happen but then so I was already pretty flat I saw something that broke my heart but also made my blood boil at the same time and it was a guy called Julian Stewart on Sunday he was using an ATM in Sydney and he went in and he saw two gentlemen sitting on the grounds and he said, boys, are you using this ATM? And they said no, and then he proceeded to FPOS his whole disability pension. He has no job.
1: He's got cerebral palsy. He's got
2: cerebral palsy. He's in a wheelchair, and he was FPOSing his money to buy food and the things he needs for that week, and the two gentlemen behind him talked to each other and then proceeded to decide that they were going to rob him of his money, his wallet, and his and his phone. And it is one of the most disgusting videos you've ever seen because they plan it and then he's a defenseless guy with a pretty high level disability he's in a manual day chair so he uses his arms but with assistance with a motor on the back Mm -hmm. he can't defend himself he's got no way to do so and they've ripped the money out of his hands that was really devastating for me for a couple of reasons one this poor guy is just trying to be an independent guy and live a normal life like everybody else and then something like that happened but It's a really scary thing to happen because when I was a kid, my mum would worry that something was going to happen to me and I used to defend myself by saying no no one would ever do things like that, Mm. right? Now, mums and dads of kids with disabilities or people with a disability themselves see that and that deters them from going outside, from being normal, from... Trying to
1: live an everyday life. And that Best sucks.
2: If that happened when I was younger, my mum and dad would have seen that, and that would have ruined my life for a period of time because they would not have trusted me to be able to go out and live the life that I want to live.
1: Yeah, I know from knowing you that, you know, Recy, your mum, she was scared for you just going and catching a train exactly. system at the time. And you're like, I'm just catching a train during the day, but... It's a scary thought and, for
2: a parent. And I always try and see the positive in everything and I'm sure the two gentlemen that did that had something going on and needed to do that. It's not good enough. And hopefully they get punished because of it. Because we need to set a standard. But I love this quote from the guy that got robbed. It'll never stop me. I love my life and I love the fact that I'm in a wheelchair. I embrace it because I get a chance to show other people that no matter what your disability in life is, you can overcome them and do whatever you desire. So I think it's up to all of us to enable people to keep doing that and keep supporting everybody no matter their situation to be able to be the people they want to be.
1: Nicely said, mate. Now let's introduce this week's guest.
2: Gus, when we came up with this idea for this podcast. One of the first. Oh, the first. Let's be honest. The man that I wanted to have on this is, is someone that I've definitely looked up to because of what he's been able to do, not only with his career, but more so what he represents. And he represents my community so well. And I've had... The privilege on working with him a couple of times, um, going on his on his world famous TV show. I was pretty chuffed when he asked me to come on, especially because I was Australian and it's based over in the UK. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, he's back in Australia obviously for a little bit, and we're super excited to have him on. So I think it's about time he introduces himself.
0: G'day, my name's Adam Hills, I'm a comedian, I'm a TV host, uh, and right now I am a part-time teacher.
1: (laughs) From the isolation of your very own bedroom (laughs) on a Zoom record, we're very excited to have you, Adam, and uh, what is your disability?
0: Uh, I was born without a right foot. Uh, I don't even know the technical term or the scientific term, but I do know that if I was competing in the Paralympics, I would be classified under, uh, quote, the others,
2: Yes. Oh. Les Autres. Is that right?
0: Les Autres. That's what it's actually <laughs> I've always called. I've if I ever got famous enough that I had to check into a hotel under a fake name, I would use the name Les Autres. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's good. So for, for disabilities that don't classify as, I think it's cerebral palsy, paraplegic, vision impaired, hearing impaired, or an intellectual disability, they're called Les Autres. Oh. So they're people yeah. of short stature, people with weird amputations. I can say that, can I? Um, and all <laughs> these different things. So you're actually you're a Les Autres. I don't know that many Les Autres.
0: Really? I, and I love the fact, I mean, Les Autres sounds like a like scientific or it sounds kind of fancy or at least technical. I'm pretty sure it's just French for the others. Yeah, yeah. So I love the idea that they would have been classifying people and they've gone, okay, what's that? That's an amputation. What's that? That's cerebral palsy. That's a vision impairment. And then there's a whole group of people that they went, Oh, so what are they? Oh, I don't know. They're just the other ones. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Can we call them that? I don't, know. Barry, what's, say it in French. It sounds fancy.
2: <laughs> hey, before we get into your, your, your life story, how are you as a teacher? You any good?
0: So I've kind of invented about four or five different characters for the kids as different teachers. Mm-hmm. It started off with, uh, I don't know even know how we got, so the, their, their principal is, is, her name is Miss Ghanane. And I mispronounced it as Miss Janine, which my daughter thought was hilarious. Yeah. And, and I went on and, and then it became a character, Miss Janine. Hi, everyone. Miss Janine here. Janine Janine, actually. Janine Janelle Janine the full name. <laughs> and then every subject, it just became a different teacher. So there's kind of like a German exchange teacher called Mr. Gunten Schreiber, a nice. really boring American um, PE teacher called Ned Needman. And now the girls have got to the point where they want me to dress up every morning as the different teachers. right. So it's kind of becoming this whole sketch show. The only problem is they don't, my youngest in particular doesn't take me seriously, so I'm trying to teach her maths. Mm -hmm. Mathematics is a very exciting subject. You can tell from my voice how (laughs) overjoyed I am to be teaching it. (laughs) And she's going like, do everything as Friedman. So I'm going, okay. Eighty-six plus ten is what, and she's like, good, I mean, no, actually, "You need to, you need to actually answer this question for me now." She might not want to go back to school. Listen, Friedman's going to have a breakdown pretty soon. shouting <laughs> yeah, at the kids, so they're going to have to go back to school.
1: Because obviously, you you work with the Paralympics, you've hosted TV shows around disability. Do you do you teach your kids about disability? Because when we started this podcast, I was I, I didn't know much because Dylan's the first person in my life, you know, I have family and friends, that has a disability. So I was kind of walking with blinkers on my whole life?
0: It's a bit of a weird one. The only way I can explain it to you is to give you two examples. So we were at the para-athletics championships in London, which I think was about 2017 maybe Mm. at um, the Olympic Stadium. And I took my daughter and one of her friends. So they would have both been about seven. And we spent a day walking around the park and seeing, like, there was a disability breakdance troupe that had been on the last leg. So we kind of watched them and had a chat to them. And, you know, the girls played wheelchair basketball. They loved all that stuff. And what I found was fascinating it was at the end of the day, my daughter's friend, the, the other little seven-year-old, was going, I mean, a little posh English girl, by the way. I mean, that's amazing. Who knew that people with disabilities could break dance like that? That's amazing. <laughs> and it really opened her eyes to the world of disability, whereas my daughter was like, what? What's the big, I don't mm. get what the big deal is because she's grown up with a dad who's got one leg. She's met, you know, Paralympians. She's met other people with disabilities. So in that, in that instance, when it comes to kind of amputations and wheelchair and, and stuff like that, she's a cross. But then I've been playing disability rugby league and we had, a, we had a dinner up in Warrington with all of the team. And one of the guys uh, has cerebral palsy and he doesn't speak particularly well. So whenever he walked past, he would tickle the girls. He would tickle my daughters. And the six-year-old kind of went, Daddy, he keeps tickling me. And I said, well, that's because he's got a thing called cerebral palsy. And it's very hard for him to talk and be understood. So his way of saying hello is to just tickle you. And then she was fine with it after that, but now she thinks it's called terrible palsy. (laughs) 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 So it's a nice, I mean, I, I feel kind of privileged that I can teach them or at least explain to them stuff about disability and I feel really kind of proud when I see that reflected in the way they talk about disability yeah. as if it's just not a big deal.
2: My partner I was telling her that we're having you on the show and I was very excited. And she was like, "Why well, you got Adam, Adam Hills on the show. Like what's his relationship with disability? And I don't think everybody would know that as you said, you've had one leg your whole life. Can you take us back mm. to, to growing up? Were you always, I guess, proud of your difference? Did it, did it get in your way
0: when you were a kid? It didn't really get in my, I mean, I've been really lucky. I kind of, I mean, the way I see The Last Leg is much the way that I see the Specs and Specs. So the reason Specs and Specs worked at the music quiz show here in Australia is because Alan and Miff were proper music nerds mm-hmm. and I was kind of halfway in between. I had enough experience of, of music that I could translate what was going on, but also I wasn't so much of a nerd that I didn't know how to talk to everyday people about it. And I kind of feel the same with disability in The Last Leg in that, you know, Alex is properly disabled. Yeah. <laughs> I'm halfway in the middle, yeah. and I can all, like literally, I've got a foot in both camps. I can I can translate disability for able-bodied people. So, I guess growing up, it didn't it, it didn't feel like I was disabled. I never considered myself disabled. i and for those who don't know, I've got an ankle joint. I can I can bear weight on my right foot. I can walk without the prosthetic. It just means you know one leg's longer than the other there were very few things that it stopped me from doing. I used to joke about I couldn't wear thongs.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Either it, honestly,
0: about the age of 13, you know, I had a meeting with a specialist who said, is there anything the other kids could do that you can't? Really, genuinely, and I said, yeah, thongs. I just want to wear Javianas, <laughs> <so> Doc.
2: <laughs> hey, they've got Havianas with like a little strap around the back now. So you can almost—they're almost like a sandal.
0: That's what I needed. Yeah. Uh, So they made a they made a prosthetic with a gap between the two, the first two toes, so that I could slot a thong in there. But I didn't realize until you walked that you actually grip with your toes when you walk. Exactly.
1: Yeah, you need it's like a a opposable thumb. You need some grip strength in
2: there. I'll uh, I'll I'll leave you two to talk about this.
1: (laughs) Dylan doesn't know (laughs) what New jerks. A whole new world for me too. Um, what about as a kid? Was it explained to you, Adam? Um, about what happened in the womb for you to be born without a foot?
0: No, because I don't think anyone ever really knew. I remember watching, look, I'm going to say I was about seven or eight. I might have been a bit older at my grandparents' house. I vividly remember this actually, watching a TV show. And it was the first time they'd ever been able to film like the development of a fetus. And so they showed it at different stages of, I don't know, six weeks, 10 weeks, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a certain point where I looked at the feet of the fetus and went, oh, my God, that looks like mine because it was like a little nub with two tiny toes on the top of it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that was the that was the only time I'd ever seen anything that resembled what my foot looked like with the two little toes sticking out the top but no one's ever been able to to come up with a reason of why my foot is the way it is i genuinely don't know my mum my mum thinks it's because she was lifting boxes when before she knew she was pregnant <laughs> yeah. The Sav Blanc she drank before she knew she was twelve weeks.
2: My mom had like hay fever for three days straight, and she's like, "That's all I can think of." Because oh. I don't know either. And I'm like, I don't think a few couple of sneezes developed a big fat tumor the size of a melon mum. Yeah, that's about... Now, when
0: <laughs> sorry, that must be a you know that must be a fascinating thing. I, I think there is a strong connection between between p- people with disabilities and their mums for a lot of reasons. I think you know, for me, my 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 mum was the one that took me to the clinics. You know, your, your mum does all the kind of medical stuff often. But also, you know, I don't know how to explain it. There must be a pit of my mum's brain right at the back just thinking, what did I do? What did I do mm-hmm. wrong? And, you know, the chances are she didn't do anything wrong. It's just a thing that happened. Yeah. And we've
2: found, we've talked to people that have had horrific car accidents where their parents have been at fault on this podcast. And, yeah. you know, the people with a disability don't even blame their parents for that. You know what I mean? Because, and like I don't, like... I, I would agree with you. I reckon my mum would have a percentage in her brain like, what have I done to do that to Dylan? I, I couldn't give a shit. Like my life's a million times better than it ever would have been. But on the outside, people would feel sorry for my mum for producing a child with a disability.
0: Well, funny you say, so in 20, 2008, which was when I first met you, Dylan, at the um, Beijing mm-hmm. Paralympics, I remember being at the closing ceremony and on the way in, everyone was given, little, was given postcards And the idea was you would write a postcard and address it. And on the way out of the stadium, it was already stamped. On the way out of the stadium, you would put it in a letterbox. And that way, everyone that was at the closing ceremony at Beijing sent a postcard around the world. It was like this outpouring of love. And I remember sitting there, covering it for the ABC, having had, that was the first time I'd been to the Paralympics, having had this incredible experience, not just at the Paralympics, but in Beijing generally. And I I sent a card to my mum saying, thank you for whatever it was you did that got me here. (sighs) And I kind of meant it in that way of, look, even if you did do something that led to me having a foot, it's given me this amazing life. I never followed it up with her. I just sent it and I thought it was pretty obvious what I meant. And years later, I was kind of talking to her and she went, oh, I thought you just meant like the conception.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Straight over the head 10 years later. Yeah, fateful (laughs) Valentine's Day night. You're welcome. Um, Were you always funny, Adam, growing up, or did you use humour to deflect maybe some comments around your foot? I don't know. I
0: I don't think so. I mean, look, I always wanted to be funny growing up. There's Mm. definitely that. Whether or not I was is a different question, but I always loved comedy and, and, and wanted to be funny. Was it because of my foot, though? I don't really know because when I think back, it's a bit, it's a weird one. It's a bit like, you know, I grew up in the, in the Sutherland Shire, a place called Loftus in Sydney, which is which is quite, I, I was the only kid at school with what would be termed a disability. And so, therefore, it wasn't, it's like there wasn't a category for me. So, it wasn't a disability. I didn't think it was a disability. I'd never really, I don't really remember having, being teased because of my foot. Okay. I mean, I was teased for right. a whole bunch of other reasons, being <laughs> a nerdy kid whatever, <laughs> yeah. but not because of the foot. So... I didn't feel like I ever had to. and I mean, I guess the other thing for me is I could hide it. I could go to school and wear a pair of long trousers and no one knew. And I still played rugby league and I still played tennis and I still played cricket and it didn't really kind of stand out or stop me from doing anything. So I don't really remember being teased. I mean, I was definitely bullied at school by various people, but again, not because of the foot. And I say that because, you know, bullies are pretty cruel and if they want to go to your weakest spot, they will. I, and funnily enough, I used to talk about this um, as part of my stand-up show, but the one thing I did when I wore shorts to school was where I pulled my socks up to my knees because that would then cover the foot because I didn't want the foot to stand out. And I realised, you know, I was the only, every, every other kid at school would just let their socks roll down to their ankles and I'd have my socks pulled up. Yeah. And then I was getting teased for being the idiot with his socks on.
1: Yeah, up for being a nerd. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the prissy
1: boy with his perfect school uniform. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So eventually this one day I went, you know what? This is ridiculous. I'm going to, right. I'm going to own this. I'm going to roll my socks down. I don't care if anyone thinks my foot looks stupid. I'd rather look stupid because of something I can't control than something that I can Right. Rolled my socks down. No one said a word about my foot and no one teased me about my socks. And it was suddenly, it was a real ownership thing of going, Oh yeah, right. Being a nerd is way worse than being disabled. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. Um,
2: I found the same thing. As soon as I owned my disability, people's perceptions began to change, but also my own perception of myself changed straight away. Mm. And then your confidence level, I guess, increased. And it's an interesting question because I know you even said it then, like you never really saw yourself as having a disability. As you've Mm. got older, have you kind of owned that a bit more or do you still not really classify yourself as
0: disabled? It's been a really long, slow process for me, I think, in that, I I don't know, I'm like I remember being about – maybe 12 or 13. And mum saying to me, Hey, you know, the doctors want to know if you'd like to try out for the disabled games Mm. was the way she put it.
2: Sounds very. And at
0: that point, yeah, I was playing a lot of tennis um, and able-bodied you know, competitive tennis against able-bodied players. And I kind of went, no, if I'm going to win Wimbledon, I'm going to win it. I'm going to win Wimbledon. I'm not going to win the, Disabled Wimbledon because there was, I mean, there wasn't even a disabled Wimbledon. No, it didn't even
2: come Um, until 2014 or whatever. So No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: But also my naivety, I had no idea what the Paralympics were. I thought, and it's not even fair if I run against someone in the 100 metres because I'm only missing my ankle. What if I'm up against someone who's missing both legs above the knee? That's not fair. Mm. Like I didn't even know there were categories or anything like that. I guess I just wanted to do, I didn't see myself as being disabled. And the real eye-opener for me was Beijing in 2008, watching the Paralympics and watching Paralympians go by and kind of having the realisation that, oh, no, hang on, they don't think they're disabled either. They were just doing their thing, whatever their thing was. It wasn't like I'm doing a disability thing. It's I'm doing my sport to the absolute utmost. And I kind of, I then started kicking myself going, man, I missed out on this whole thing that I could have been a part of mm-hmm. that I had, I knew nothing about. So on that, when it, when it came to stand-up comedy, I wanted to prove myself as a stand-up comic without the disability. I wanted to do what able-bodied comedians do, which is just be funny without relying on your disability. And it was only a whole bunch of things happened. In the year 2001, I was nominated for the Perrier Award at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is pretty much like one of the highest awards you can be nominated for in comedy. And just being nominated made me go right. I think I've proved myself. I, I know now yeah. I can do this, and no one's giving me an award out of sympathy. And then a few months after that, September 11 happened, and security guards were getting freaked out by my prosthetic when I would go through metal detectors. Mm-hmm.
1: All right.
0: And I ended up writing a routine about it, but it's based on truth. Is that I, you know, three days after September 11, I went through Heathrow Airport. And the security guard, my foot set it off, came over and was like, right, what's going on? I said, oh, it's a prosthetic. And he went, oh, geez, sorry, mate, go, just go, just go. And I was so, didn't even check that there wasn't a knife. <laughs> yeah, in your prosthetic. Yeah. And and it kind of harked back to something that I learned in the very, very early days of comedy. So probably I'd been doing comedy for maybe a year and a half. And I was emceeing a show at the Sydney Comedy Store, early and late show, and Half the audience from the early show stayed over for the late show and I only had one act. (laughs) So I was like, do I do the same jokes for them or do I try something different? And I did a joke about my foot, which was based in truth, I was at a party, I told people I had a prosthetic foot and someone said, a woman said, can you still have sex? (laughs) 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 Yeah, right. (laughs) There was no time to it, I just told it. It got a bit of a laugh, we moved on. And this comedian afterwards came up to me, an older comic, He was a bit full of himself, but it was good advice. He said, look, he said, you're not good enough to talk about your foot yet. I said, what do you mean? He went, you're still learning how to be funny, how to win an audience over what it is you're trying to say. Hone your craft first and then talk about your foot. Work out why you're talking about it and how to be really funny about it, but don't talk about it now. And so I didn't talk about it for like 13 years.
1: That's interesting though, because a lot of people say that using the F word can be an easy way in comedy to get a laugh out of somebody. So you having yep. that as a visual piece to play with, I guess he probably saw as like an easy way to get a laugh when really you need to get the
0: most difficult laughs in that learning. Absolutely. And it went back to that thing of, I want to do what, what the able-bodied kids do. Yeah. I, want, I want to do whatever they do. So after then, you know, I'd been nominated for the Perrier Award, which meant, okay, tick, I have honed my craft i 've worked out how to do this to a degree, and then, after September eleven and that that whole thing in the security, I just thought, I need people to know it's okay, like don't be so scared of offending someone with a disability that you don't check whether or not they're carrying a knife in their yeah, leg. exactly and so all of that came together, I think for me that that combination of working out my craft, finding a reason, and then I retold that story about. The woman saying, Can you still have sex? And realize that my response should have been well, should have been, Well, yeah, of course. Mm. What does your husband do? Does he have a run-up? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and again. suddenly that's the difference yeah. in not knowing your craft and knowing your craft yeah. is taking something funny that someone said and then making it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so I wrote a book a couple of years ago. I was asked to write a book, and I, I thought it would be great to just write a book about all my stories and stand up that led me to where I am. And the publisher said, we really think people want to read about your foot. That's kind of the in. That's kind of your thing. I was like, oh, man, I didn't want this to be that. Mm. And I said, is there a journey you've gone? You know, the usual publisher yeah, sure. stuff. Is there a journey you've yeah. gone? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so I said, I called the book Best Foot Forward. Okay. And, but as I wrote it, I kind of realized I had to then ram in the theme of my foot into mm-hmm. the book. But as I wrote it, I went, oh, no, this has been, even my comedy career has been this long, slow process of trying to do what the able-bodied kids do, proving myself, then realising I've got a point of difference, then finding a reason to talk about it, to let people know it's okay to have questions, to to feel awkward and to not worry about embarrassing people, and then gradually getting to the point of going, actually, this is my best Mm. foot because it's the one that's taken me more places than the other one. Well said. Love it. Do you feel,
1: Adam, that you're comfortable saying that you have a disability, seeing as you've lived your life mostly able-bodied? Do you see somebody in a wheelchair who, as you say, is much more disabled than I am, and then because you're classified under the same umbrella, does that at times make you feel uncomfortable having that label?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. For me, 2012, watching the Paralympics GB team come into the uh, Olympic Stadium in London, as fireworks went off around them, as David Bowie's We Can Be Heroes blasted out over the stadium. Hang on,
2: dressed like... MTV spacemen. You know, they had like yeah. these weird spacesuits on. Yes. Like, oh, the yeah. puffy silver oh.
0: spacesuits. They they looked pretty sick. Yeah. Huh? I was impressed. With Stella McCartney designs. Yeah. Oh. I reckon something in the back of my head went, Do you know what I've identified as able bodied all my life, but I want a part of this. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs>
1: well <said>. Great. <laughs> because you don't have a foot, um, something we explored yeah. with a girl called Cherie, who was amputated at the age of three because of cancer in her hip. Um, She has phantom pain, so she had to reschedule one of our interviews because she was having really bad phantom pains right. for, for a leg that doesn't exist, but her brain is telling her pain is there. Do you ever have feeling for the foot that never existed?
0: No. Okay. So the only, because the only thing that was amputated were those toes. like a, So those those toes that I were, was born with, they used to stick out the front of the prosthetic. It used to be a hole and they stuck oh, out the front.
2: That sounds horrible. When I
0: was about 14, I was playing soccer, and one of the kids went in for a tackle, missed the ball, and hit the toes. Ouch. And... They were stitched. I had to have two stitches in them. But gradually as I got older, I couldn't move those toes. They didn't serve any purpose. Mm. And as I got older, the bulge became more apparent. It was harder to make a prosthetic that kind of looked good. And so I had them, I had them amputated. And even then, you know, this, so there was always a part of me thinking, should I have done that? Was that vanity? Cause it was really only for the look of yep. the, the leg going down. Um, so that's the only thing that I've lost. And although they would have cut through nerves and the toes did have feeling, I, I never had the phantom pains. Mm-hmm. It's a weird thing. When we, when we did our disability rugby tour of Australia, I shared with a guy who was an above-knee amputee. He had played so hard in our first game, they had to re-amputate his stump. Another 10 centimeters up, the femur. Oh,
2: I was going to ask you about that when we got to it. Even when you run with your foot, yeah. is, yours, is your stump absolutely blistered and gross?
0: No, pressure? because I've got – again, because I've got – mine wasn't joint, an yeah. amputation. I've got the ankle. I've got a heel. I yes, can actually – I can weight here, bear brook. on yeah. it. But so, that
2: guy, his stump would just get chopped up.
0: Oh, man. And I mean, he was talking, when he came back, when he came back from that operation, he was explaining how it was basically every time he ran, the stump would just lift out of the socket a little bit. And then when he put it back down, it was basically bone on carbon fibre, which oh. I'm lucky I don't get. Yeah. But I do get – like infected hair follicles.
1: Oh, right. <laughs> nice. The sweat and anyone, the rubbing of it,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, man, anyone with a prosthetic, especially a prosthetic leg, knows the horror of the <laughs> infected hair follicle.
2: Have you ever done the goose step and your foot fallen off?
0: Like you, <laughs> you rolled your own ankle? <laughs> the way it's connected, again, because of the way my ankle, it doesn't just slot down. It kind of goes down and then hooks in. in right. Hooks in. But because of that, I have a door on the back of my prosthetic. So I have to put my foot in and then put the door on and then strap it up with Velcro. Uh But on the blade that I use for rugby, the door's at the front rather than the back because the blade's at the back.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And So what that means is when I run, all of my weight goes on that front door. So that's 82-something kilograms going down on that. Mm -hmm. And eventually, over time, either something will break or the Velcro will just open up. So I was... A couple of years ago I was on the beach with my girls and with my daughters and I went, come on, let's have a race. And after four steps the door opened and up. I just fell flat on my face and my foot fell off on the beach. <laughs>
2: and I was like, we win. <laughs> we win. Hey, you've got 495 days now until the Paralympic
0: Games. Yep. Would you ever run? What would have been uh, your sport? I, I mean that was a so after Beijing in 2008, interestingly enough, um, the coach of the wheelchair tennis team came up to me and said, look, I hear that you used to be a tennis coach and played competitively. And I said, yeah. And he said, would you be interested in wheelchair tennis? And I went, well, yeah, except that I don't use a wheelchair. And he went, yeah, but your disability might actually qualify.
2: Wait, are you trying to say you and I could have been doubles partners?
0: <laughs> Turns out. You bastard. Why did you call me? <laughs> well, so what happened was it was the end of the it, was the, it was the last night. It was the final night of the Paris, And um, this guy, and I said, I mean, this could be a thing. Let's think about it. And he saw some look in my eye and he went, hang on. Everyone gets like this on the last night of the Paris. Yeah, right. Exactly. Very <laughs> emotional. Let's, yeah. let's catch up a couple of months down the track in Melbourne and see how yeah. you're going. And so I met up with him. Um, Jason Helwig was his name. Yeah, he was the chef de mission
2: in 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep.
0: I met up with him in Melbourne a few months later and he sat down and said, look, okay, if you really want to do this, if you want to play wheelchair tennis, he said, and the good thing about you is he said most a lot of people in wheelchairs have never played tennis. He said, you've played tennis, you've mm-hmm. just never been in a wheelchair. So he said, that's what we need to teach you. But he said, you know, need to start living your life in a wheelchair. You need to do 30 hours a week. You need to- Oh, right. Around the house- It at needs to become second nature. Exactly.
2: The, the best advice for that is, if someone has an accident and they need to get good in a wheelchair, go to the supermarket because you're constantly stopping, starting, doing little corners. So it's like a big, like a Chadston or a Miranda Fair or whatever, like because yeah. you're constantly weaving out of people. So you get really good at being in your chair. Fascinating.
0: Mm. So I, and I had said to him at that point, we were like three, four years into spics and specs. And I said, look, I'm hosting a TV show that we're, we're writing and filming every week. I said, I, I genuinely don't think it's, I can spend that much time in a wheelchair. And he looked at me and then went, tell you what, he said, in all honesty, the best thing you can do for the Paralympics right now is to tell people about it, mm. tell as many people as possible. And then I saw him in 2012 in London. We had a walk around the park together and he went, and now you're doing it. You're telling people about the Paralympics. Yeah, amazing. But so if there was a sport, funnily enough, wheelchair tennis didn't feel right for me because I've not grown up playing it. That's not the sport that I play. And so I've, you know, as we've talked about, I've recently been playing disability rugby league, but I'm mates with John Fitzgerald, Mm -hmm. the um, Australian tennis player, Mm -hmm. former Australian tennis player. And a couple of years ago I was at his place and I was on crutches because I'd fractured my ankle playing league. And he went, mate, why don't you play disability tennis? And I said, well, because it doesn't exist. And he went, well, yeah, there's wheelchair tennis. And I said, yeah, but that's, that's a different game yeah, than what I grew up too. playing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and you know yourself, Dylan, there's, you move differently for a start, but you hold the racket differently. You've got a hit, you've got a completely different, I've watched the way you play, whether it's serving, but in particular forehands and backhands, you've got a really extreme grip. The ball's most likely above your head. That's a completely different skill set to the skill set I've got. And Fitzy said, well, maybe you should invent disability tennis, like, you know, non-wheelchair mm. physical disability.
2: Yeah, there. standing up.
0: Yeah. So if there, if there was a sport that I could play with my disability tennis-wise, that would absolutely be where I'd end up. Well, here's a question for you, Dylan, because I don't know the answer to this because then, well, Fitzy was going, well, is there, you know, can you do this? Can you invent that sport? And I was like, I don't know how you make it fair because, Do you have a class for people with one leg, an above-knee amputee, a double above-knee amputee, a double below-knee amputee, one one arm, arm, two arms, cerebral
2: palsy? It would be above-knee versus below-knee. So, sorry, above-knees play above-knees and below-knees play below-knees, depending if you have one or two legs. Similar athletics. There's people that play – there's actually a guy who plays on the ATP tour, like against the Roger Federer's, who's fully deaf. Wow. He's from Taiwan, I think. Um, There's also a guy from South Africa who's got one arm and he throws the ball up in his... So if you if you right now make an L with your arm, he's got just a little bit below the elbow. He throws the ball up with his elbow.
1: Oh, and right. he's Yeah,
2: and he plays feet. on the on everybody the circuit too. So they're the only two I can think of. But obviously, once you lose, lost a foot or a leg, you wouldn't be able to play Roger Federer. You could play him, but he'd kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: In 2012, Adam, you said that uh, the problem with the word disabled is there's so many negative connotations. Uh, fast forward eight years, do you think the world's getting better?
0: Yes, yes, Good. yes. I think, I think that's what I love about the Paralympics is that the Paralympics does that every four years. It, it makes the world slightly more aware or accepting or understanding or, or celebratory of disability. And it does it in this like little explosion that goes out from Beijing and then another one that goes out from London and another one that goes out from Rio And also then the TV coverage gets better and the viewership gets better and it looks cooler. So I think more and more kids in particular become aware of disability and see people like, you know, I'm going back to 2012 in London, but um, uh, David Weir, for instance, or Johnny Peacock, they see them as heroes and they want to be like them and they look up to them, or Ellie Simmons. I choose them because it happened particularly in London in Mm -hmm. 2012. And then you see them you know, on Dancing with the Stars or something like that and go, great, okay, that's, that's helping, that's making the step. But then unfortunately, there's a weird little backlash I think that happens from that, is that then people start to think, well, all disabled people can do anything.
2: Yeah, and I face that myself. That really? Or the able-bodied, the disabled world resents you because you're the Paralympic guy and unless you're a Paralympian or you're talking about why you're disabled, that's the only way you could get back on, get on TV. And right. there is a, so the example that I use, Adam, is, um, yes, I am a hundred percent the lucky one and, and I'm the one who's broadcasting and and I'm so appreciative of the opportunities that I've had. But yeah. if you take away the fact that I've won gold medals and, you know, work on radio and that, I'm still the same guy, I guess, discriminated against trying to get into a restaurant. I'm yeah. the same guy who is standing to get on a plane and they ask the person next to me, is he going to be okay? Assuming they're my carer. So, right. you know, I still am a disabled person, you know what I mean? But I yeah. think I, I do feel sorry for the disabled community who aren't Paralympians because there is this assumption that you're all just oh, why don't you go to the Paralympics? Or Why aren't you a Paralympian? Or why yeah, can't yeah, yeah. why can't you do that? So it does it does have it a bit for sure.
0: And then I think what the flow-on effect from that, especially in the UK where you've got you know a government that is cutting back on disability benefits, then the word disability benefits becomes associated with the words benefits fraud. Yeah. And part of that is because people are going, but why aren't you like Johnny Peacock? Why aren't you at the Paralympics? Mm. Disabled people can do anything, right? We've learned this from the Paralympics. Disabled people don't need anything to hold them back. So why do you need benefits now? Are you a benefits fraudster? And then it's that. So it actually, in a weird way, it makes people more aware of what disability is, but it makes them more aware of a certain part of disability and it'd be like saying to an able-bodied person well why do you need benefits because able-bodied people compete at the olympics yeah right
2: now you touched on the importance of the paralympics being broadcasted and i think being broadcast in a in a different way um it used to be Mm -hmm. very kumbaya let's all hold hands the the paralympians are here when it's an elite sporting um event where we train our lives to you know put on a show and i do have to say you know i haven't i've said this to you before but not in a public forum you you really meant a lot to me, especially what you did in 2012 with The Last Leg, which started as a highlight show of the Paralympic Games. And I think one of the things that why it meant so much to me is um, I'm lucky, not to the extent that you are much funnier than I am, that I had a bit of wit and the ability to make humour, to break down barriers and change stigmas about my disability. It was the biggest tool I had. And if you aren't a confident young person with a disability, especially at school, Especially in a a high level disability that you can see, it's so hard because that social aspect of having a disability, especially for young kids, they might never get out of that. And I think why the last leg and what you do is so refreshing is we are normal people, first and foremost, who are elite athletes, who you celebrated on the show, but you also took the piss out of. And that normalized us as people. Because it made us look like normal people.
1: Well, Australian humour is very self-deprecating and a lot of people would be scared to make a joke about somebody who's got a disability for the fear of being yeah. backlash or people going, oh, my God, he's picking on a disabled person. Yeah. Whereas and the, that's the, the humour that everyone in Australia kind of comes the together The best thing for.
2: is whenever it was disability, it was always inspirational. But you know what you did? You made it entertaining. It was entertaining. <laughs> and that changed the landscape. And I think it's had that flow effect because obviously the last leg is now what it is, been going for eight plus years and is one of the biggest shows in the UK and here in Australia, all around the world. Did you do that on purpose going in? Was that a risk that you took or were you just, did you decide that you were going to back yourself and make a show like that and just hoped everyone got on board?
0: Both. I mean, yes, yes, we did decide we were going to make a show like that and take a risk and hope everyone got on board. And uh, when the promos first went to air for the last leg channel 4 got so many complaints on twitter Mm. from people going i can't believe you're doing a paralympic show called the last leg what is wrong with you channel 4 yada 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 but when you look at how the last leg came about there are so many i mean so many um influences and a lot of them australian you can trace it back for me to 2008 at the beijing paralympics the first session we were given was by jason helwig who was the the chef de mission of the australian team And he gave a session to all of the abc um journalists reporters etc and he said i'm just going to say this up front these are elite athletes Mm -hmm. if you treat them as elite athletes then they will respect you and they'll give you everything you want and that's all we ask is that don't treat them as quote inspirational or having a go or even just people with disabilities They are, these are people who have busted their asses for the last four years, some for their entire lives to be here, to be at the top of their sport. And that's how we would like you to refer to them. So that was always in the back of my head. And that's what I learned in Beijing. Then when channel, so when channel four asked me to make the last leg, that was the first thing I said was this can't just be a piss take. Mm. It's not an an hour or a half hour of, Hey, how funny are disabled people? Mm -hmm. We've got to respect the sport. The sport has to come first. And we've got to celebrate the gold medal achievements and we've got to talk about the great things that are going on sporting-wise. This is a sporting event. Mm. And and the kind of rebellious and revolutionary way of of an unusual way of talking about it is to treat it like a sporting event (laughs) because that's what people don't expect. They expect it to be, hey, everyone's having a go. Isn't this awesome? Mm. No, it's a sporting event. Now, add to that, the head of Channel 4 at that point, Jay Hunt, was an Australian, born and raised in Australia. So she had fond memories of Roy and HG yeah, in 2000. the dream.
1: I was going to a mention dream. that before. Yeah. It was just perfect. Fatso the wombat.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what she wanted was the dream mm-hmm. but for the Paralympics. And she could say that to me because I was Australian and she didn't have to explain any more. I knew exactly what she meant. And my response was, great, let's combine everything that was great about Roy and HG and everything that I learnt in Beijing, which is respect the sport, respect the sport, talk about the sport, the sport's the main thing. And then the the other Australian reference I was going to mention was he was saying, we need to find a way at the beginning of the show to set up what the show is going to be. And I went, oh, great, we'll do like a, a teaser with a kind of a, tonight on the show we're going to cover this and we're going to cover this and we're going to look at this and this gold medal and that gold medal. And as I was saying it, I realised I was sounding like Billy Birmingham's Wide World of Sports. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and, chew for chew. Uh, yeah, exactly. And one of our writers, Adam Vincent, is a South Aussie guy. And as I was saying it, I went, uh, and he looked at me and he went, bye, geez, bye, jingos, bye, crikies. <laughs> yeah. And then Pete, the producer, went, I said Wide World of Sports and he went, I don't know what that is. And he went, but I've heard the parody of that. And I went, yes, that's exactly (laughs) what it is. So even when you watch The Last Leg Now, the beginning of every show, when I say, tonight on the show, we're going to cover Boris Johnson's big news. We're going to do this. At the back of my head, I'm going, and that for croquet fans, once again, there's (laughs) stuff all for you on the show. (laughs) Very good.
1: Amazing. Adam, we've got a, a, we put up on our socials that we were going to be chatting to you and a lot of people oh, yeah. had questions for you. And I've written some of these down. and am going to give them the credit they deserved. Um, On yep. Instagram, uh, which is at listenable underscore podcast, uh, Dan Frost said, did you, Adam, find it challenging not being able to participate in mainstream sports growing up? And if so, any advice for teens in similar situations?
0: Cool. Well, no, I, again, mm-hmm. lucky is a word that I use a lot. What I found frustrating, interestingly enough, was when it came to rugby league because it got to a point where playing rugby league for the school, I just couldn't keep up. Mm. And, it's you know, you get to 12, 13, 14 and I I thought that was just me but since helping out and playing rugby league in in the UK with the Warrington Wolves disability team, I've realised that there is a subsection of people with disabilities like mine that that came from birth whereby you could could compete with the able-bodied kids up until a point seem to be about 13 or 14 where the able-bodied kids just get stronger and stronger and you go, okay, this is going to hold me back a little bit now. Mm. I didn't think I was frustrated until I found Disability Rugby League in the UK and until I realized how desperately I wanted to play rugby league again. And to the point where anyone who knows me knows that I travel. So I live in London. I go to Warrington every Tuesday, which is a two-hour train ride. It's about, I think it's a 600 kilometer round journey oh, might even be longer so that I can train for an hour and a half and play rugby league with these guys all with disabilities. Yeah. So my advice would be if you're frustrated by the lack of opportunities for, for your disability in your chosen sport, then see what you can do about going out and making something. Yeah, well said. Invent a, invent, whatever the sport is, invent a disability version of it because again, what's been fascinating for me is finding out there's a lot of other people like me, who either did play rugby league and had an accident and couldn't anymore, or always wanted to, but were seen as the disabled guy who couldn't join in.
2: I think also with added the resources now online, it's a lot easier to connect with people with a disability. You just gotta search. You gotta look around and ask people. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes
1: you've got to start that. You gotta start
2: it well, yourself. You know? Exactly right.
0: Yeah, man. Just Google the terms disability croquet. I'm <laughs> sure something will come up. <laughs>
2: and the the work that you're doing with the the Docker around the rugby league, and obviously. Um, the stuff with The Last Leg. Are you proud of, I guess, what your body of work represents?
0: It's kind of bizarre because, like I said, I I never saw myself as being disabled. I never saw myself as being a voice of people with disabilities. And even when we did The the Last Leg in London in 2012, as far as I was concerned, I was showing off the Paralympics. Uh And the Paralympics does great things for disability. But I guess even before that, though, I would be doing stand-up now that I think of it. I remember doing a gig at the, the London Comedy Store and this guy coming up to me afterwards saying that his daughter was born and I, I've got a feeling he said his daughter was born without an ear, like just had one ear missing. And he said, I've never found it comfortable to talk about and I've never found anything vaguely amusing about it. And he said, watching you make jokes about your foot, it's made me look at my, think about my daughter in a different light. Oh. And so in a weird way it was slightly accidental but little things like that. I remember being at the Adelaide, the Thebitton Theatre in Adelaide doing a stand-up comedy show. And often I'll have a sign interpreter on stage with me. And again, this woman came up afterwards with her daughter and said, my daughter's deaf. She's 18. I actually a bit older. She was like 20 in her twenties. This is the first event I've ever been able to share with her. And certainly the first comedy night I've ever been able to share with my daughter. I mean, all of those things are like little side effects. They're kind of like you know, I, I wanted to have a sign interpreter so that the show would be accessible to yeah. everyone, but it's those little personal details when that happens, those are the things that stick with me and kind of makes me makes me happy that and, and maybe a little bit proud that I was able to facilitate that.
1: Adam, before you go, we are—we uh, have a bowl of uncomfortable. This <coughs> podcast is about trying to make people comfortable with the topic of disability and asking people uh, questions about their disability to normalise it. Um, so we do have questions that come through. One of the questions that uh, we got through, I'm going to name her. Her name is Bronte Latham. She wrote this publicly on our Facebook post about having you on the podcast. She wants to know the same question which we actually asked a previous guest, Curtis McGrath, which is, is the foot on or off? during lovemaking, the prosthetic that is.
0: Okay, so I always used to make the joke on stage about it, which is, you know, I do take it off, but it's pretty hard to look sexy while you're removing a leg. <laughs> <laughs> it's like me trying to get skinny leg jeans off in a wheelchair. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> but yeah. I remember, and funnily enough, that is a great question because that I found out in 2012 that David Cameron, who was then Prime Minister of mm. Great Britain, was a fan of The Last Leg, and that he and his wife would sit up and watch us after the Paralympics every night. And it was a Channel 4 reporter, I think it was Krishnan Guru Murthy, who told me. And I said, Are you sure? Like, are you just making that up? And he said, No, because I asked him what his favorite bit was. And he said, The bit where you and Alex answer the question Do you, do you wear your legs to have sex?
1: <laughs> the
0: Prime Minister. And Alex's answer was better than mine. Alex's was, well, it depends how long I think it's going to take.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the process might be longer than the act. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, can we get quickly where can people uh, in Australia, but we do have listeners across the world, where can they watch the rugby special as
0: well? Um, so in Australia, it's, it's streaming on 10 Play. Great. Uh, in the UK, it was on Channel 4, but I think it's uh, still available on all four. Uh, it's not yet available around the rest of the world, but I'm hoping it will be. We're going to put it up on iTunes later this year. Amazing. Cool.
2: And last bit, if there's someone else out there, like a young Adam Hills, somebody who's in a similar situation to you or has a difference I guess they're not proud of and wants to work in the media, what's your advice to that person?
0: Do your own thing. Do your own thing. If you want to be in the media, like, like, pretty, kind of what I said about sport as well. If you don't feel that there's a sport that's accessible for you, make one up. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't feel, and I've said this in in other forums, but if you don't feel that there's, if you're an actor and you don't feel that there's a part for a disabled person that that you want to play, write one. Mm -hmm. Write a play, write a TV show, write a short film. You know, the way the world is now, you know, if you want to be a journalist, make your own podcast, make your own online stuff, apply. And also really take advantage of people's sympathy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I've been doing that for 29 years, baby.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Adam Hills, thank you so much for coming on Listenable. (laughs) Cheers. Good on you, Hills.
2: Appreciate it. Just the top like. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, so humble with the fact that he really has had a massive influence in the world of disability and plays it off like it's the people that he talks to that's had the biggest influence. He's just the one in the middle and uh, it's humbling and beautiful to hear, man, because...
1: You're fangirling a little bit there.
2: But, like, I have to because, like, I want to be a big person in the media with a disability and obviously Adam can wear pants and hide his or whatever and I always thought my disability would not have been able to because it's so, you know, brought to the forefront Mm. but you know, the work that they do over in The Last Leg and that has been able to do that. And I think hopefully the next step is really like Hollywood.
1: I was actually thinking, and I wrote this down on my computer when Adam said it, we should chat to somebody who's lost out on a gig to somebody uh, who has a disability to somebody playing that disability.
2: Like an everybody person playing exactly it. Exactly right. Every time. You
1: hear it all the time about, you know, um, whitewashing, whereas someone with a disability... Bryan Cranston
2: played the guy in, in the, the wheelchair, wheelchair the during that, and I loved that movie yeah, with Kevin see, I, Hart. But I, I it, can't watch those well. because it pisses me off too much.
1: That's so interesting and that's a space that we will definitely play on in the future yeah. on Listenable. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure you check out our Instagram and obviously Facebook. That's where we're getting some of your questions. Listenable underscore podcast on Instagram or just search Search Podcast to find us on Facebook. Let's find out who's going to be our next guest.
2: Do you think it's fair that you didn't tell your boxing opponent that you had cerebral palsy, especially if you got critically injured in that fight?
0: Yes, I think that it is fair. Because
1: but but you understand the guilt that that person would yeah,
2: feel. Yeah, the guilt that, that just... they would feel.
0: Yeah, and that is true. That I, I do see your point there, but I still don't think my injuries would have been any worse off if I was able-bodied.
2: Dylan Orcott, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Gus. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can catch all the hot content. Yeah, coming first. Away.
1: Get it first. Yeah. Listenable was presented by Dylan Orcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson, and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull.